God bless and greetings in the name of Jesus Christ. We're again in the book on God's behalf. Job's response to Zophar, chapter 12. In Job chapter 12, verse 1, we read, And Job answered and said, No doubt, and this is in reference to his three friends, but you are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. What Job said in sarcasm is not too far removed from what his three friends believed to be true, that their wisdom was rare, and without them, the earth would be void of wisdom. Individually, they had desired to speak and to show forth what each believed to be the truth of Job's situation. But in reality, there was absolutely nothing they brought forth that could be deemed as enlightening or spiritually profitable. What Job said in jest was aimed for reproof. To men who had a far higher opinion of themselves than the superficial wisdom they had brought forth to Job. They had all spoken at length, but it helped Job nothing at all. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 now. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. It is not the abundance of words that either gets prayers answered or helps to convict sinners of sin, but rather the amount of faith and spiritual inspiration they contain. Ellicott on Matthew 6-7, their much speaking. This thought was the root evil of the worship of the heathen or the Pharisee. It gave to prayer a quantitative mechanical force, increased in proportion to the number of prayers offered. If 50 failed, 100 might succeed, end quote. Contrasting Illipaz, Bildad, and Zophar's words, we can observe in Scripture Peter's words at Jerusalem, Stephen's preaching, Nathan's, Jonah's, and Elijah's words, teaching us that if God's Spirit is not what is leading man, then absolutely nothing good spiritually will be seen to come from it. Hence, if it is not the Holy Spirit prompting reproof, then the emptiness of carnal correction will prohibit any true change in the sinner's heart. Sometimes also, the more unwise a man or woman is, like Job's three friends, then the more they will be misled to think that their shallow thoughts will help those in need. Yet God has said that the wisdom of this world, which is characterized by human thought, will be brought to nothing. Isaiah 29, 14, Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Verse 3 now of Job chapter 12. But I have understanding as well as you. Job speaking to his friends, I am not inferior to you. Yea, who knoweth not such things as these? That which had been spoken by Illipaz, Bildad, and Zophor were general realities. There was nothing specific in them that could help convict Job concerning his sin, nor provide a way of escape from his troubles. His friends had thought themselves superior in knowledge, not because they had more, but only because their own lives had not been touched by adversity. Yea, many a man may live his life unafflicted by Satan, 
unaware that the primary reason that he has not been singled out for devilish attack is simply because he possesses no real threat to things evil. See, it was Job's fear and faith in God that prompted jealousy in Satan. It was because Job sought fellowship with the Lord and revered God's holy name, which then prompted Satan to seek his destruction. In truth, it was Job's desire for spiritual relationship with the Lord that led to his being hated by the devil. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Observe also that it is a life of godliness and not simply the pretension of it that prompts devilish persecution. John 15, 18. If the world hate you, Christ said, you know that it hated me before it hated you. What is true of Jesus and the Christian was first evidence with God and Job, where because of Job's loyalty to the Lord, the devil sought to destroy his life. Another point for consideration is this, that when a man joins himself to God, he is no longer an innocent bystander in the war of heaven. Consequently, because a man seeks fellowship with God, his property, reputation, and even life itself will be sought to be ruined by God's great enemy. Job chapter 12, verse 4 now. I am as one mocked of his neighbor, who calleth upon God, and he answereth him. The just, upright man is laughed to scorn. Job stated that he was mocked of his neighbors, even as God's word has revealed that there shall be an increase of mockers in the last day. 2 Peter 3, 3. Knowing this verse, that there shall come in the last days scoffers or mockers walking after their own lusts. Sambalat, Tobiah, and Gisha mocked Nehemiah and his building of the wall. Jeremiah was mocked in his preaching for the Lord. The apostles were mocked for supposedly drinking new wine when they were supernaturally filled with the Holy Spirit. Likewise, Christ's journey to the cross first began with mockery. Luke chapter 22, verse 63 and 64. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? This is often the response of unbelievers who do not themselves believe, while mocking those who do. Spiritual mockery is also one of the characteristics of those fully deceived by unbelief. This is the way of the unbelieving man, to mock faith, even as he mocks committing sin against God in his own life. Proverbs 14, 9. Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. In the end, though, when fools make a mock of sin, then sin shall ultimately mock them by the consequences it brings to their lives. Benson on Proverbs 14, 9. Sin deludes or make a mock of fools or sinners. That is, exposes them to shame and contempt, end quote. Verse 5 now of Job chapter 12. He that is ready to slip with his feet is as a lamp despised in the thought of him that is at ease. This verse is a difficult verse to understand 
the Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible can help with this interpretation. As the torch is to the wanderer, so Job to his friends. Once they gladly used his aid in their need, now they in prosperity mock him in his need, end quote. Because Job's friends were safe and at ease, they could mock his words, teaching us that if we are not under trial ourselves, it is easy to mock those who are. Observe, he who is not afflicted by adversity can easily think himself as superior to he who is. Job chapter 12, verse 6 now. The tabernacles of robbers prosper. These are Job's words again. And they that provoke God are secure, into whose hand God bringeth abundantly. But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee. Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Job speaks of robbers prospering and strong beasts prevailing in the earth. Hence, Job uses what is seen in nature to defend the fact that just because men are afflicted does not mean that they are always sinners. The way of this world also evidences itself in that those of the flesh will persecute those of the spirit. Therefore, if fleshly men, or in this case, a spiritual adversary, Satan, has power and is able to bring influence, then he will persecute those who possess a nature contrary to himself. Being under persecution is therefore by itself not sufficient evidence to prove unrighteousness. And just because evil may for a time exercise power does not mean that its strength should be substituted and thought of as righteousness any more than when a lion takes down a lamb. Job chapter 12, verse 9. Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? The earth and all that transpires upon it testify to the providence and sovereignty of God. Benson on Job 12, 9. Who knoweth not in all these, or by all these brute creatures, that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, that God by his power and wisdom hath created and ordered all that is in them, or that is done by and among them. Job meant in these verses to express his firm opinion that all animate and inanimate nature clearly bore testimony to the creating power and overruling providence of God. This is the only time that we meet with the name Jehovah in all the discourses between Job and his friends. For God in that age was more known by the name Shaddai, the Almighty, end quote. Verse 10 now. In whose hand, and this is God's hand, is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. In God's hand is the soul and breath of every living thing. All is under his overarching control. God can take life away as easily as he gives it. No doubt what Job knew of Jehovah is what men are woefully ignorant of today, that the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind is in the hand and will of God. All life is solely in accordance to God's will. It can be either lengthened or shortened 
if God so desires. The soul that will live in eternity will only do so because of God's choice. Even as he who will be forbidden entrance into heaven is because God never willed it. Man, though he thinks he can control his destiny, cannot, unless through God's will a path is given him. If men knew this profound truth, that all life is in God's hands, then a much greater and reverential fear of the Lord would be held by them. He who does not properly fear the Lord and His power will dangerously mock the eternal truth that all life is governed by God's will and ultimately will be enforced by God's power. What God wills in the earth shall be done. That God controls all life is a truth not known by most men. Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. And this is the Lord speaking. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. Ellicott on this verse. I kill and I make alive. This was repeated by Hannah in her song, The Lord Killeth and Maketh Alive, 1 Samuel 2.6. Compare also Isaiah 43.13. Yea, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. End quote. In 1 Samuel 2.6, we also read, The Lord killeth and maketh alive, and bringeth down to the grave, and bringeth up. Ellicott on 1 Samuel 2.6. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. Death to and life come from the same omnipotent Lord. Nothing in the affairs of man is the sport of blind chance. End quote. All life comes from God or is taken away by God. Ultimately then, God is the final governor of all who will live or die. No other has a say in the courtroom of life and death simply because there are none who could ever be found fit for such a critical decision as this. He then, who created the heavens and earth, determines the fate of every living thing upon it. There are few records that reveal God's sovereignty in the earth more than the revelation given to Isaiah concerning Cyrus, the Persian king, who would return the Babylonian Jews to their homeland. The record reveals God anointing a non-Jew to carry out His will. Its revelation is profound simply because what God taught Cyrus about His sovereignty is what is not known by many today. In Isaiah 45, verse 1, we read, Thus saith the Lord to His anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before Him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two leave gates, and the gate shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron, and I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, 
though thou hast not known me. Matthew Henry on uh, Isaiah 45, 1. Cyrus is called God's anointed. He was designed and qualified for his great service by the counsel of God. The gates of Babylon, which led to the river, were left open the night that Cyrus marched his army into the empty channel. The Lord went before him, giving entrance to the cities he besieged. He gave him also treasures, which had been hidden in secret places. The true God was to Cyrus an unknown God, yet God foreknew him. He called him by his name. The exact fulfillment of this must have shown Cyrus that Jehovah was the only true God, and that it was for the sake of Israel that he prospered. In all the changes of states and kingdoms, God works the good out for his church. End quote. What was found true of this one man is what shall also be found true of the church. Where because God has willed it and ordained it, then God's power shall ensure that the church reaches God's own purpose for her. Christ's church, like Cyrus, has been ordained and predestinated by God to certain blessings. And because of God's power and not the church's power are these blessings certain to be received. Verse 2 now of Isaiah 45. I, the Lord, in speaking to Cyrus, I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. Because Cyrus was God's anointed and because his task was according to God's will, the Lord said that he would go before him and level all obstacles that could prevent his success. It would be by God going before Cyrus and preparing things beforehand that would ensure his victory. For those anointed by God, God has also prepared for them certain victories and successes that will be theirs because of divine providence. God is sovereign, and because of this, what he has willed shall be done. No man nor any other party shall be able to resist this will, nor alter its purpose conclusion. There is a great comfort if men remember that they have been chosen by God for adoption into his own heavenly family, knowing that because of God's will, all that has been revealed concerning them will be fulfilled. The sovereignty of God demands this. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 3 now. And I will give thee, again to Cyrus, the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. By blessing his people with hidden treasures, the Lord's people know that God is both with and for them. What a wonderful truth this is, that by blessings, riches, and treasures, the people of God are brought to know the certainty of he who has called them. Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because God enriches men with both internal as well as external riches, this proves that God is alive and real and is critically involved in his people's lives. In truth, it shall be either blessings or cursing that awakens men to the reality of God.
Barnes on this verse, that thou mayest know that from these signal successes and these favors of heaven, you may learn that Yahweh is the true God. This he would learn because he would see that he owed it to heaven. And because the prediction which God had made of his success would convince him that he was the true and only God, end quote. Verse 4 now of Isaiah 45. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. It is not man who seeks and finds out God, but God who calls men, who prior to his call did not even know God's name. The church also has its existence because of predestination. It therefore exists because God beforehand determined that it should. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his own will. By God's will then are sons of God brought forth. Barnes on Ephesians 1.5. When, therefore, he converts and saves a soul, it is clear that he always intended to do it. He has no new plan. It is not an afterthought. It is not the work of chance. If I can find out anything that God has done, I have the most certain conviction that he always meant to do it. And this is all that is intended by the doctrine of election or predestination. What God does, he always meant to do. What he permits, he always meant to permit, end quote. Saints are purposed for heaven because of God's will. They shall share an eternity with Christ because it is according to God's will for their lives. All salvation has for its roots predestination. The Lord chooses whom he will to inherit his promises and then exercises sufficient power so that all goes as he has determined. There is no man who has ever been saved whom God did not first choose. Election is what is the cause of all blessing, whether it be earthly or heavenly, so that when men enter into promised abundance, we can know that it was the Lord's own eternal will that first initiated it. By God's will and not man's are blessings sent from heaven. Job chapter 12, verse 11 again now. Doth not the ear try words, and the mouth taste his meat? With the ancient is wisdom, and in length of days understanding. With him is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and understanding. Barnes on this verse. With him is wisdom. Margin correctly, God. However much wisdom there may seem to be with the aged man, Yes, the true wisdom, that which was supreme and worthy of the name was, was to be found in God alone. The object of Job was to lead the thoughts up to God. He made all things. He sustains all things. He reverses the condition of people at his pleasure. He sets up whom he pleases, and whom he chooses he casts them down. His works are contrary in many respects to what we should anticipate. And the sense of all is that God was a holy and righteous sovereign and that such were the reverses under his administration that we could not argue 
that he treated all according to their character on earth, end quote. Verse 14 now of Job 12. Behold, he breaketh down God, and it cannot be built again. He, the Lord, shutteth up a man, and there can be no opening. What God tears down cannot by human strength be built again. Being hedged in by the Lord means that no human power will be able to make a way of escaping anything God has placed in captivity. What is true in life in being hedged in by God or shut up by the Lord's power is seemed to be true even more in death. Hence, if a man is held captive by the grave, absent God's supernatural power to release him, there can be no escape. There are none living, nor that have already died, who can reverse God's judgment that has been appointed by God that men should once die. Hebrews 9.27 And as it is appointed unto men, once to die, but after this the judgment. By divine appointment and not by accident, men enter the grave. Yet all life after the grave will be determined by the voice of the Son of God, calling to life those who have no power to regain life through themselves. John chapter 5, verse 28. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his Christ's voice. Barnes on John 5, 28. Shall hear his voice. He, Christ, will restore them to life and command them to appear before him. This is a most sublime description, and this will be a wonderful display of almighty power. None but God can see all the dead. None but he could remold their frames, and none else could command them to return to life, end quote. He then who wants freed from the captivity of the grave, purposed by God, must hear while he is living the voice of the Son of God. For only by doing this shall Christ by name, as with Lazarus, call his people to life. There is no other hope in heaven absent the Redeemer sent to provide it. Hence, if people desire to hear Christ's voice liberating them from the grave, then they must sincerely believe upon the Son of God while living. Job chapter 12, verse 15. Behold, he, God, withholdeth the waters... And they dry up. Also he sendeth them out, and they overturn the earth. God's power over the earth is vividly demonstrated by his power over the water above it. Which waters can either prosper a land or, if withheld, ruin it? The pulpit commentary on this verse. Behold, he withholdeth the waters, and they dry up. God, at his pleasure, causes great droughts, which are among the worst calamities that can happen. He withholds the blessed rain from heaven, and the springs shrink, and the rivers dry up, and a fruitful land is turned into a desert, and famine stalks through the land, and men perish by thousands. Also, he sendeth them out, and they overturn the earth. He causes floods and inundations. Once upon a time, he overwhelmed the whole earth, and destroyed almost the entire race of mankind by a deluge of an extraordinary character which so fixed itself in the human conscience that traces of it are to be found in the traditions of almost all the various races of men. 
But besides this great occasion, he also, in 10,000 other cases, causes, by means of floods, tremendous ruin and devastation, sweeping away crops and cattle, and even villages and cities, sometimes even overturning the earth, causing lakes to burst, rivers to change their course, vast tracts of land to be permanently submerged, and the contours of coasts to be altered, end quote. Job chapter 12, verse 16 now. With him is strength and wisdom, again in reference to God. The deceived and the deceiver are his. Though God did not originate sin, he is said here to maintain control over the extent that even sin deception can be spread. The Lord put bounds on how much Satan could harm Job by affliction. Similarly, Satan's deception is also controlled by how much God will allow the devil to deceive men. As God retains and has power over both the deceived and the deceiver. If men reject the Lord, then it shall be observed that God removes those bounds, allowing Satan to lead men completely as he wills. Benson on uh, Job 12:16, the deceived and the deceiver are his wholly subject to his disposal. He governs the deceiver and sets bounds to his deceits. How far they shall extend, he also overrules all this to his own glory and the accomplishments of his righteous designs of trying the good and punishing the wicked. By giving them up to believe lies, yet God is not the author of any error or sin, but only the wise and holy governor of it." End quote. Verse 17 now of Job 12. He leadeth counselors away, spoiled, and maketh the judges fools. Those thought to possess wisdom and power among men, like counselors and judges, can easily by God's will be carried away as spoil or thought upon as fools, teaching us that neither human wisdom nor earthly influence can redirect God's will for a man's life as there is no state that any man can gain by knowledge or worldly advancement that can protect his life if God so wills to touch it. Human judges who sit in the highest positions of society, determining its right and wrong, if God so wills it, can be thought upon as fools for their ill-advised and erring counsel. Job chapter 12, verse 18. He looseneth the bonds of kings and girdeth their loins with a girdle. Kings also are not so high that God's sovereignty cannot reach them. Countries, also represented by kings and rulers, even if they bind together as one, cannot overcome God's will. The Tower of Babel is a good illustration that human unity cannot accomplish anything if God wishes that it fails. The sovereignty of God ruling all the earth even the little men who generally think themselves its kings. He leadeth, God leadeth princes away spoiled, and overthroweth the mighty. The Jameson Fawcett Bible on this verse, princes rather priests, as the Hebrew is rendered. Even the sacred ministers of religion are not exempt from reverses and captivity, end quote. Just because a man holds a religious position, does not mean that God cannot lead him away as spoil. The Lord also revealing that his judgment will first begin with the house of God, which presumptuous priests and pseudo-religious men think themselves over. 1 Peter 4, 17. 
For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Since the Holy Spirit does convict the church of sin, how much greater conviction and judgment will come on those outside the church who do not even possess it? And because God's eyes are able to search all the earth, then nothing done by either saint or sinner nor devilish force shall be able to escape his attention. But just as all evil is able to be observed by the Lord, so it is visible to God who fears his holy name. The righteous, therefore, are as able to be viewed just as clearly by heavenly sight as the wicked. 2 Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Job chapter 12, verse 20 now. He, God, removeth away the speech of the trusty, and taketh away the understanding of the age. Barnes on this verse, He removeth away the speech of the trusty, the margin, the lip of the faithful. He takes away the lip, that is, He takes away the power of giving safe counsel or good advice. The trusty or faithful. Here refers to those of age and experience and on whose counsel men are accustomed to rely. The meaning here is that their most sagacious anticipations are disappointed. Their wisest schemes are foiled. They fail in their calculations of the course of events. And the arrangements of providence are such that they could not anticipate what was to occur. The understanding of the age, to whom the young were accustomed to look up with deference and respect. The meaning here is, that they who are accustomed to give wise and sound advice, if left by God, give vain and foolish counsels, end quote. Job chapter 12, verse 21. He, God, poureth contempt upon princes and weakeneth the strength of the mighty. Again, no worldly position like princes hold in the world shall be able to prevent God from weakening and or taking away their strength. So that if God desires to bring shame to a man's life and remove all previous power held by him, then nothing can stop it from happening. Ultimately, every man lacks complete and total immunity from having God's will carried out in his life. Hence, if God desires to lift a man up, he will. Or if God wishes to bring shame upon another, this shall be done as well. Verse 22. He, God, discovereth deep things out of darkness and bringeth out to light the shadow of death. The Kiel Delich Bible commentary on the Old Testament reads, The meaning of Job 22 in this connection can only be that there is nothing so finely spun out that God cannot make it visible. All secret plans of the wicked, all secret sins, and the deeds of the evildoer, though veiled in deep darkness, he bringeth before the tribunal of the world, end quote. Haman, in the book of Esther, is a clear example that what is done in darkness, God can see and will bring into the light. Haman's plot to destroy the Jews led to his very own public hanging, teaching us that though our enemies may lay plans to destroy us, absent God's will allowing it, their plans will be for naught. Psalm 21, 11, for they intended evil against thee. 
They imagine a mischievous device which they are not able to perform. Uh, Verse 23 of Job 12 now, He increaseth the nations and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations and straighteneth them again. God increases nations as equally as He destroys them. To the Lord, the entire world is but a game board, whereby whatever piece is on it can be moved or removed as the Lord sees fit. Verse 24 now, He taketh away the heart of the chief of the people of the earth and causeth them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. As God can touch the outside of a man, so also can he touch his inward understanding and reason. Nebuchadnezzar learned this when he was restored to reason. He realized through his personal experience that God reigns all. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, we read, And at the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom, God's kingdom, is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, And he, God, doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my lords sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added unto me. Job chapter 12, verse 25 now. They grope in the darkness without light, and he maketh them God to stagger like a drunken man. When God withholds both light and understanding, then men can do no more than stumble in darkness like the drunken. Deuteronomy 28, 29. And thou shalt grope at noonday, as the blind gropeth in darkness, and thou shalt not prosper in thy ways. And thou shalt be only oppressed and spoiled evermore, and no man shall save thee. The Apostle Paul, during his conversion, was made blind for a season in order to humble and teach him that it is God who makes men either to see or can remove all sight from them. Exodus 4.11 And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seen? or the blind, have not I the Lord? He who is ultimately brought to sight by God must remember that prior to this, he was allowed by God to remain blind. As blindness and sight are both manifestations of God's power to make men either see or permit them from not seeing anything at all. One of God's judgments for sin is God smiting men with even greater blindness. Deuteronomy 28, 28. The Lord shall smite thee with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart. Matthew Henry on Deuteronomy 28, 28. Wherever the sinner goes, the curse of God follows. Wherever he is, it rests upon him, end quote. And now in Job 13, verse 1, we read, Lo, mine eye has seen all this. This is Job speaking. Mine ear hath heard and understood it. What you know, the same do I know also. I am not in fear unto you in reference to his friends. 
Closing up this chapter, Job reminds his friends that whatever they thought they knew of the Lord, Job knew equally, if not better. His friends had spoken of God's sovereignty. To this, Job asserts, I am not inferior to you. Job was right in this truth. Yet defending ourselves against carnal critics is surely not the same as being able to defend ourselves against one sent by the Holy Spirit. And Job would very soon see the difference between the two. Amen.